Well, welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. It's Thursday, so we're here at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper. On Thursdays here at the Commonwealth Club, we do a taping of the show, and then it gets posted up online and distributed to our partners, uh, such as Progressive Voices Network, and then John posts it up as a podcast on the Commonwealth Club page. Uh, today we have a special guest. We're very excited to speak with our guest today. A very inspirational story, a very positive one. She's a software engineer for Ford Motor Company in the Innovations Lab. Let's welcome Lynn Kaiser to the program. Lynn, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Michelle. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, well, you know, San Francisco is transformed into something else this week, but here at the Commonwealth yeah. Club, we'll just go ahead and proclaim today to be Lynn Kaiser Day. Thanks. Because <laughs> for the full hour, we're just going to talk about Lynn. We're going to get to know Lynn in your story. Uh, before we talk about the, the great, you know, positive mm -hmm. um, uh, impact that you've had at your workplace, let's get to know you and kind of go through childhood, where'd you grow up, and mm -hmm. what was that all like? Well, I'm originally from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, the home of Joe Namath, a big football country there. I had a nephew play in the, the NFL for a while, so. And uh, I was brought up, uh, born in the 50s, raised in the 60s there. Kind of a, a working class steel mill kind of family. My grandfather retired from the steel mill. My father retired from the steel mill. I worked there summers during college. And it's kind of a a suburban neighborhood, nothing too special. I'm the oldest of six. Uh, I guess thinking back, you know, you can think back to a lot of different things and put, uh, they put attach stories that may or may not be true, but thinking back to when I was little, five, six years old, I remember playing with my sister's toys and even trying on her clothes and things like that. But I kind of inherently knew without being told or getting caught that uh, that wouldn't go well. If, if, if I had gotten caught. So I kind of put that aside, and my father noticed me playing jump rope with the, the neighbor girls and playing with my sister's toys, and he said, here's a baseball glove, let's go play baseball. So I joined Little League, and luckily I liked baseball, so that wasn't a total loss. A lot of women do, actually. So that was, that was kind of nice. And then from, it was a standard middle-class kind of upbringing after that. Um, it didn't... None, I, I knew I was different. I guess I'd put it that way. It was just a vague feeling of being different. And it wasn't into my teens that I, you know, I didn't really want to date women. And but I, I was kind of nerdy, you know, bookish. So people didn't make too much of that. But uh, into college, I still wasn't dating women. Finally did in my 20s a little bit because it seemed like the thing to do. And, uh, and I concluded, no, this, I'm barking up the wrong tree here. Maybe I'm gay. Mm. So finally, and just kind of left it for a while into my 30s, I dated a guy, and 23 years later, we're still together. Wow. Wow. I want to yeah. go back to that, because mm -hmm. the 23 years later, and that has a lot to do with uh, where you're at today and now yeah. and what you're doing. Yeah. But John? Well, describing your father in the baseball glove kind of leads to, so when you started dating men, mm -hmm. What was, their, what was your family's reaction? Was your family conservative, or that was just kind of a no, kind respected of, role model sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, the, as the oldest of six, I was kind of the role model for the, the younger siblings. Yeah. Um, my mother, when I told her that I was dating a guy, she said, oh, I knew. Really? I don't, I, I mean, she, she figured it out, I yeah. guess, implied it. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
my father, he said, no, you can't be gay. It wasn't, just wasn't. And I said, well, yeah, can be. Uh, but uh, I brought Ken, my, my husband-to-be, to the house to meet them. And he's really friendly and nice. And so they liked him. So it was okay. Mm-hmm. Then it would be interesting to hear what your family or your parents felt, you know, when you came out, I guess, again as a woman. Yeah, well, my father had passed by that time because uh, I sat on it for a long time, for many years. Um, you know, it's one thing coming out as gay or even admitting to yourself you're gay, but coming out even to yourself as transgender, it's it's a game changer, even from living as a gay man. We were living as a gay couple for many years, and the feelings gradually arose that something wasn't quite right. I didn't quite fit as a gay man. I, I saw how gay men around me behaved and thought of themselves and interacted with each other, and something didn't quite fit. And um, so one day, I think I've told you this story, I was watching a movie on TV, and there was a pretty actress in the movie, and I, it was a Saturday afternoon. They always have the cheesiest science fiction on Saturday afternoon. But I caught myself thinking, wow, I wish I looked like her. And I sat up and thought, oh, wow, what does that mean? And then I started exploring that side of myself. I bought some women's bracelets and was wearing them at home. And my husband saw that and kind of looking funny at me. And I said, I'm just letting out my my feminine side a little bit. And he said, is that all? And uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. No more. And uh, that wasn't it. So over the next few years, I'd say this was probably 10 years ago, um, I just needed to explore that side of myself more, mm-hmm. uh, clothing and and bracelets and and a little bit of makeup. And I remember the first time I'd gone to the thrift store and bought women's clothes and got fully dressed at home when he was away and stood in front of a full-length mirror and started crying because I knew that was me. Hmm. The conversation, or I guess the first conversation in, um, after feeling this and knowing mm-hmm. this with your now husband, mm-hmm. Maybe for him it was kind of similar to uh, what it was like for your mom. In yeah. you know, I knew. Yeah. Well, my mom uh, and I. And you're right. I did come out twice. Mm-hmm. And when my mom, when I told my mom that I'm transgender, she said, "I thought you were gay." And <laughs> I said, "I thought I was too." And uh, it turned out not to be the case. But she's mm-hmm. been very accepting. All except one of my siblings has been very accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping to reconnect with the other, the, the one brother that I'm not in contact with now. My sister's working on him, so hopefully that'll happen. But uh, my mom's been great, and she's getting on in years, so you know she can't see very well anyway. I can't really see. She said, oh, you look great with your hair. She, that's about all that she could see of me right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about you know this journey. And mm-hmm. you brought up your now husband, yeah. uh, whom you met, and he's from Malaysia. Right. And you know, to be together, you almost have to, to prove that in a lot of ways. And we're, we're feeling it as yeah. um, uh, here in America, and the immigration policy is just kind of swiftly changing and becoming a hot topic politically. But for you, you know, having to have... Uh, steady work and a profession for both you and your husband that was very critical to mm-hmm. being able to be together which then led to forming um a safe i think environment for you to transition right. let's let's talk about you know just the i was reading the journey uh, uh, 
on The Advocate, an article that was out in which it goes through this beautifully. Yeah, the, the journey was quite uh, circuitous. It's, uh, we, we lived in New Jersey when we met. Uh, he was on a work visa, an H-1B visa, mm-hmm. and we were both living and working in New Jersey. He had gone to college there and was working for a few years when we met. This was in the mid-'90s. And we got together. We met through an ad, uh, a personal ad in the newspaper. This is just before the Internet took root or was, was large for dating. So we actually met through a personal ad. I answered a, an ad in there, left a voicemail, and he called me back. And uh, after the first date, uh, that was it. But anyway, his work visa expired after a few years. He had to leave the country. And in those days, there, were no, there was no recognition of same-sex couples, which we were at that time. And so he had to leave. I even called and wrote to a number of politicians, and Barney Frank called me. I don't know if you remember Barney. He actually called me on the phone one evening, and we chatted for wow. a half hour. And he said, you know, we're working on it, but there's just nothing that can be done right now. So uh, we ran into a Canadian, uh, an immigration lawyer from Canada in New York. We were living new, in new, near New York at the time, in New Jersey. And he said that it was pretty easy to get into Canada at the time. So we applied for permanent residence up there. Mm-hmm. And in the fall of 98, we moved to Canada, moved to Vancouver first, and lived there for a couple of years, and then Toronto for a number of years because of work, and then back to Vancouver, and then down here just a few years ago. So it was, uh, and then, oh, the best part. Uh, we both became Canadian citizens while we were up there, and now uh, I'm a dual U.S. and Canadian, and he's a dual U.S. and Canadian citizen yeah. very recently. Yeah. I thought the best part was, I mean, just finding yourself coming back here after mm-hmm. we won federal marriage equality. And yeah. that was kind of finally a, a, a legal pathway for many of us in the LGBTQ community. And then for yourself, full evolution in in terms of happiness. Uh, yeah. You're, you know, the... Uh, in my opinion, that's what I'm going to call it, the evolution of your happiness, is, it is winning that for our community, for yourself, and then setting out on a journey to be your authentic self. And, you know, as a trans woman here in America, it's it's uh, still very difficult. It's difficult to get a job. It's still yeah. difficult, you know, to, I mean, even the bathroom conversation, I'm embarrassed to even bring that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk openly about creating that path for yourself, and that led you to Ford, which, it, and, and you did a lot of homework. And when, when somebody brings up, you know, Ford, a Ford, you know, at any car company in America, you, you straight up go back into it's a man's world it's a stodgy uh, old-fashioned <laughs> yeah. I, I had yeah. all those notions until i started reading about it and uh, there's a organization the human rights human rights commission hrc and they have a rating for mm-hmm. lgbt friendliness or accommodation or or assistance that that companies give to their lgbt employees contractors vendors and so forth and uh, when i got to the bay area I had for some time, well, even while in Canada, I've been planning to transition at some point, but because we're pursuing immigration back down to the U.S., I kind of held off and didn't want to rock the boat. But in this whole time, or that whole time, I was looking at, um, once we got settled back in the U.S., how to transition, when, how, you know, for whom would I be working. Mm-hmm. And when I first came down here, it was uh, 2013, 
because it was just that year that the U.S. Supreme Court changed the rules so that they would recognize same-sex couples for immigration, finally, after all those years. But so uh, we filled out the paperwork and submitted it on behalf of Ken. And our immigration lawyer, who's based out of the Bay Area, said that I should come down here and work and demonstrate that I can provide a home and have an income to support my husband when he finally got down here. So I did that, and it was a little over a year later when his green card came through and he came down here. But in the meantime, I worked for a, a, a small startup in Silicon Valley. And uh, once we knew that my husband would be coming down, as he, he'd actually gotten approved to come down here, I approached the subject of transitioning with the owners of the small company. This being California, they knew they would have had to accommodate me, mm -hmm. but the look. There was a look of consternation, I guess you'd call it, that came over their faces, especially one of the two owners. So I said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep you posted. And, and right then I started looking around for another company. Well, in the meantime, I'd become interested in self-driving cars. That's all the rage in Silicon Valley these days. And so I started looking for jobs related to that. And I saw the posting with Ford. And uh, Ford? And then looked them up. They were rated 100% on the HRC ratings right up there with Google and Apple and Facebook and everyone else. Started reading more about them, and uh, it looked like a very progressive company on, on the part of LGBT employees and whoever else they deal with, and thought, that's kind of interesting. It's up, right up my alley. So I applied and got the job. <laughs> that was in 2015, uh, yeah, yeah, September of 2015, a little over three years. Yeah. And so you got into Ford, you knew you wanted to transition. Mm -hmm. When did you then start broaching that subject with your employers there? Well, the first thing I did is I got in touch with the LGBT resource group, mm -hmm. Ford Globe, and contacted someone, that, the leader of it, um, Bill, whom I, you know well, in Michigan, because that's where the majority of, of Ford employees are, sure. and, con and discussed my, uh, my thoughts of transitioning, and he said, yeah, it's, it's quite doable. We've helped people to go through it. There's someone here that has actually helped someone with the paperwork here. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're doing quite well. So that was very encouraging. So I had been with the company five months, maybe, something like that, and talked to first the HR manager in our office. It's a, a small office in Palo Alto where I work. And he said, you know, I haven't done this before, but I'll be glad to, to help you. I'll, I'll learn and work with you. Then I talked to my direct supervisor, and he said, oh, yeah, I've done this before. Mm -hmm. So you know, he'd, he'd actually worked with someone in Michigan who had transitioned, and I hadn't known that. And so they told me what to do, what paperwork I needed to do, and then we decided on a date, and, and this was January of 2016 when I finally decided on a date. I chose Leap Day 2016, February 29th, as a leap into the, the future, I guess, poetic. And at an all-hands in January, every month we have an all-hands in a large kitchen just to talk about what's going on in the office. And with my permission, my supervisor announced to everyone there that I would be transitioning at the end of February and be known as Lynn. And people clapped. I wasn't sure. I was scared to death. But, I w but people clapped, came up and hugged me, and, and said they have my back. And, and it was just amazing. It, it's the way that I would have written a... a a heartwarming story, I guess, and it was real. It actually happened that way. I would think that would be the dream of how anyone going through this would hope it would happen. Yeah. Uh, did any of your colleagues besides your supervisor 
know about this beforehand? Yeah, I had talked to a few of them, the yeah. people I was kind of close to and that I trusted with the information, and they were a little bit surprised. I looked like a, a stodgy middle-aged engineer, <laughs> male engineer. They were a little bit surprised, but um, they were all very supportive, and and they could because the the people that I sat next to, they could see me. Sometimes I'd start trembling at my desk, literally, and then I'd have to go out to the car and have a cry. And I finally had to tell them what was going on. And one of them said, you got to do something. So that, that their prompting, I also decided to transition. Don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Wow, I have so many more questions, especially about Ford, but it's very uplifting and, and uh, I'm ecstatic to hear how positive of an experience you had. Uh, by the way, I'm just going to do a quick reset for those tuning in. You're listening to the Michelle Miao Show. We've got a great group today at the Commonwealth Club. Lunch has been provided by Ceremony Ford, so thank you, Ceremony Ford and the Castro Car Guy. Um, we're speaking with Lynn Kaiser, who's talking about transitioning uh, on the job at a company like Ford, Ford Motor Company. So my question is, are you the first to transition? I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I found out from the, the people at the Globe LGBT Resource Group that there's uh, at least three others in Michigan that I was introduced to one. I met one when I was back there on a trip, one person, and heard about a couple more. 
So definitely not the first. And those are only the trans women that I happen to meet. And I, I don't know how many trans men there are in the company at this point. I never happen to meet any. Mm -hmm. um, but I know of at least several others. And I'm not the last. I've been approached since then, since especially the ad article in The Advocate in late 2016, from other people within Ford in different parts of the country and world. And three of them have gone on to transition successfully as trans women. There's a woman that is also an inspiration to me, and uh, we've done an interview with her before. Her name is Vivian Ming. I'm not sure if you know Vivian. I know of her, and, yeah. and I think my friend Grace knows her Yeah, personally. so Vivian is amazing, but she's also a tech leader, transgender activist, a mom, mm -hmm. wife, and she speaks very openly about her personal journey. But there was something she said that stuck with me. You know, There's this big talk about diversity in tech mm -hmm. and for these large corporations mm -hmm. and how to address that. And one thing she talked about was that she was very much supportive and believed in diversity in tech because uh, there's something about tech that is is based on meritocracy in terms of what you know uh, you can do, you can perform versus yeah. the identity and how that could change hiring practices. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? I mean, you know, being a part of a huge large company like Ford, that's not necessarily, um, you know. It, it's it's got a lot of tradition. It's got a lot of history, mm -hmm. a lot of years, uh, and it's not some of the, you know like a startup. Well, it's a little bit different at our lab in Palo Alto. It is essentially a tech hub. It is one of the tech hubs for Ford, mm -hmm. and it does have that meritocracy kind of mindset. And I've I've seen that within the, the technical industry in Silicon Valley. It is very much a meritocracy, and it is kind of a, a respite for LGBT people in general because. Nobody really cares who you are or what you are. It's just what you can do and how you interact with other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that it definitely attracts LGBT people in general and trans people in particular. So your first day when you went to work as Lynn, what was that like? Oh, I was, I was terrified. Uh, you know, people were nice ahead of time and, and they knew. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first went in, I decided just to own it, walked right in, and walked around and reintroduced myself to people. Yeah. And um, I'd got the look, as I call it, the look of kind of a befuddled smile. Uh, Lynn, is it now, did you say? And yeah. And, um, and it kind of put me off at first. And in fact, I got that in a lot of places I went in the professional circles mm -hmm. that I work in. Uh, the look, as I call it, where they just don't quite know how to react to you. And, you know, it, I felt a little bad at first, but then I learned how to defuse that just by going up and joking with people and talking about projects and everything else, just any topic under the sun, like anyone else does. What I did over the weekend, asked what they did. And you have to remember when you're transitioning that you may be the center of attention, but people have their own lives, their own problems. So I learned to ask about that, yeah. like colleagues generally do. I had to remember, I had to force myself to to remember that they have a, a life and difficulties themselves. And once you start talking to people in, in their own terms, the, the look just goes away, and then you're just two people talking. So, and, and it's gotten kind of satisfying since then. I've learned how to do it very quickly, and it kind of, it kind of it, it's fun to, to, to watch, it, watch yeah. that look melt away, and then we're just two yeah. people talking. What about awkward moments? Maybe not moments of discrimination, but mm -hmm. maybe awkward moments in which you have to um, to to help educate and inform 
others about you and transgender issues? Well, in the Bay Area, I don't have to educate two people, uh, people too much mm -hmm. because uh, a lot of people have seen trans people, and it's just it's a very liberal and tolerant and accepting area. Uh, it's on the phone. I get sir a lot, and I've tried the voice lessons, and it's really hard to change your voice, and there's surgery available, and I'm scared of that. So I get sir on the phone a lot, and I remind people and just say I'm a trans woman, and I'm working on the voice, and it's and they say, oh, I'm sorry, and then two seconds later, it's sir again. So that's kind of a, I don't know, it's awkward. It's really awkward in how many times do I correct them before I just kind of let it go. Mm -hmm. In person, not so much. Uh, people see the way I appear and my name and kind of put two and two together around here. And I, even in other parts of the country I've been, people pick up on it. I'm visibly trans. They can figure that out, but they can tell that I'm a trans woman from my dress and behavior and, and name. There's a story I know I've talked about it on, on your show before, Michelle, and it's a story I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it. And this was George W. Bush. Um, it might have been while he was still president or after, but he went back to his former college uh, for some reunion or something. And this woman walks up to him and you know, hi, I'm so and so, uh, and she said, "In college, you knew me as going to make up a name, John Smith, you know," and and he said. You know, last time you saw me, that's, that was John Smith. And he said, well, now you're here as yourself. And I thought, that struck me, and I hope it's a true story, because that, to me, was him saying, this is you, mm -hmm. completely accepted. Now, whether or not you think that followed through in policies and such of his administration is one thing, but once you were able to be Lynn, did your stress level go down? I mean, did you, what, what, what? emotional and, and psychological well, changes did you Well, very early on, the stress level went up because I was afraid of people's sure. reactions, whether I would be accepted or whether people would just be walking on eggshells when they're around me and just, I would be kind of isolated. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stress there, but uh, very quickly at work, people got used to, to my new self, the way I appeared and my new name. It took a little while to remember the name in some cases for the people who had known me prior. But uh, very quickly, within a couple of weeks, I'd say uh, I wasn't getting a look at work mm -hmm. because people knew me as Lynn by then. And we talked about projects and things going on in the company and just you know, had to get past all that very quickly. So they were, uh, I got some congratulations early on. And, and even now, once in a while, I'll get the, the common theme of you're very brave to do this. And the way I put it is, I guess, it, well, there's a, a certain fear to overcome, but it's not so much bravery as just, just being a necessity to have a good life. Mm -hmm. It's like you're being chased. I, I read one really interesting analogy. You're being chased by wolves, and to run in and, and close the door in your cabin, well, is that, is that brave or is that just self-preservation? And to me, this was self-preservation. Yeah. Let's talk about transgender issues and... Um, Unemployment. I brought it up earlier. Yeah. It's not easy for transgender folks to be employed for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Uh, your story is a positive story, an it inspirational is. one, and one that, you know, again, this journey that you're on is very, very specific to Lynn. Mm -hmm. So for those out there, and when you're speaking to the community, um, you know, what are some some things that you will say to the community who, you know, 
we seem to get down on ourselves sometimes yeah. to say that it's really hard to get back up or to get out of this hole. And it kind of depends on the audience. If it's someone who's a working professional, has been working as a professional for a number of years, my story is more applicable to them. So I can relate my own experience and the way I treated it, and maybe they can draw some analogies there and, and get some encouragement. Uh, the unfortunate part is younger LGBT people who maybe were kicked out of their homes, didn't have a chance to, to even finish high school, let alone go to college, and just didn't have the opportunity that I had to go to college and become an engineer and build a career. That's a tougher one. I, I guess my first uh, lesson as, a, as an elder in the community to younger trans people who have had a lot of hardship of, because they were discriminated against as, as kids by their own families in many cases, is first find shelter, find a place to stay, and finish your education, whatever you have to do. So mm. it depends on the audience. Mm. Do you feel like a role model? I mean, do, do, you, do you accept that as a, you mentioned? I do. As an, as yeah. an elder, I mean, do, yeah. but, as, but, as an elder in yeah. the LGBT community, I do. I've, I've uh, kind of been approached by enough people that, um, yeah, I do consider myself a role model at this point, strictly because I'm older and have done a lot more. Well, I think we were talking before the program about having been able to really create your life in the direction you wanted it to go to. Mm -hmm and how important that can be for other people to see someone doing that. Talk it a little is. bit about that importance. And, and mm -hmm. did you have people you were able to look at when you were thinking of transitioning, when you were recognizing that you were trans and all that kind of stuff? Well, I went to support groups for a number of years, even while we were still living in Canada prior to coming down here a few years ago. So I did see those role models. Now, in the support, support groups, you tend to see people who are still in the struggling stage. But there are some there that have, that, that have transitioned during or, or gone on to careers after transitioning. So I did have those, a few of those people as role models. Your first Pride participation. Well, the first one that, that I ever marched, well, I've marched in like the Dyke March and the Trans March and things mm -hmm. like that. But for the first one was a, a full participant was just this past June here wow. in San Francisco. Wow. And yeah. it was that with Ford or with Ford. Uh -huh. How did that make you feel? I, I, there's this growing conversation about being a part of the LGBTQ community and then marching with your company. And yeah. you know, who are you representing the company or yourself? Well, both. Yeah. Uh, it is very much the company because they had treated me very well and, and made me uh, made it possible for me to me to here I am tongue tied thinking about it almost ready to cry actually but uh, they made it possible for me to be myself and all aspects of myself including the professional part of myself I mean my I joke but it's only half joking that the deepest core identity uh, that I recognize it is an engineer mm -hmm. I mean that's the one thing that's been steady in my personality all these many years it was straightish guy uh, or questioning guy and then then gay guy and then questioning gay guy and then trans woman and you know I had to face all those different aspects of my identity but the the professional part hasn't changed. And to be able to embrace that and be recognized for that and for my true, hopefully, final self as a trans woman by the company, uh, you know, I, 
I wanted to recognize that and celebrate that as uh, a, a thing that they should be proud of. Thank you for saying that. I think you know we don't we don't ask enough about mm-hmm. also our participation in the community and how uh, we can make changes. You know, of mm-hmm. who we are nine to five, and mm-hmm. then who we are, I guess five and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, again, I have I have I have more questions about the about the workplace. But John, do you well, I, I want to add to that? Well, you mentioned the engineer, and I've been waiting to ask to mm-hmm. more just the nerdy question of what is your job? What do you do? What are some of the neat things you get to work on? Well, uh, I can talk about what's publicly known. You know. No, 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 no. Yeah, just so, tell us yeah. the secret stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Here you go. <laughs> Everyone from Chevy and Tesla is listening in right <laughs> no. now. My colleagues back there will keep me honest. Well, that's okay if Tesla's listening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'll Couldn't change do anything, much. Anything. <laughs> so uh, my new title, uh, I was a software engineer and changed to, uh, I'm called a research engineer. Uh, it's more of figuring out what projects to work on, what research projects to work on, and leading those, working with uh, younger people, newer engineers, and yeah. on, a, on a research project idea to try out new things. I do a lot of interaction with the tech community here in Silicon Valley. Uh, it's very big with uh, connected vehicle uh, and, and autonomous vehicles. In my area of, of specialty is connected vehicle, where you have 4G, 5G, very high-speed connection between vehicles that communicate with each other to avoid collisions and cooperate in traffic and hopefully slow down some of this horrendous traffic congestion that we saw today, as a matter of fact. So that's kind of one thing that I'm working on. And... Also, just enabling uh, autonomous vehicles with that high-speed connection to the Internet because there's a lot of data that will have to go back and forth. So that's kind of the nerdy answer of what I do. It's proposing and leading projects, working with the local tech community. Part of our mandate in our office is to get out with and, and work with the startups and the local companies. But it's got to be exciting to be working on stuff that is at the frontiers of what we're doing. And, you know, it's you're not coming out with, not to downplay people who are coming out with a new car, but I mean, you're coming out with vehicles that are doing something different that are, you know, mm-hmm. that, that are forcing legal changes on do we yeah. allow autonomous cars, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, that in itself has got to be very stimulating. It's real rewarding. I've been in this engineering game for a long time, and this is, you know, by far the most personally satisfying, professionally satisfying thing I've done because it matters. Yeah. It really matters. If you look at the traffic, uh, when I moved to the Bay Area in 2013, the first thing I noticed was the traffic and thought to myself, somebody has to do something about that. And I am. I was. I think I've been dreaming about this moment since uh, the Jetsons. I mean, <laughs> but, well, but... I want a flying car, too. Don't yeah. get me wrong. No, but realistically, I think, you know, 16 when I failed my driving uh, test three times and I just said somebody's got to drive for me I mean I got I got to be at this place and 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 now here in 2018 it might be possible what do you think how soon I mean it's already out there the technology I think yeah I mean Ford and many other companies are testing them on the street if you go to Mountain View you'll see the formerly Google now Waymo vehicles running around Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of vehicles ourselves running around in different parts of the, the country uh, the public announcement that Ford has made uh, is 2021, and uh, I guess if you if you want to follow up more, uh, my colleagues here will be glad to talk about any new updates that that we may have as far as dates. But that was the last publicly announced date. Is there a web page at Ford? You know, Ford.com, autonomous or something like that that people can find out more about. 
I suspect there is. Um, let, let's find out later. Okay. Yeah, we're going to open it up to yeah. questions on the floor um, very soon here. And I mean, any interest on the self-driving car, the technology is mm-hmm. all selfish between John and I. <laughs> I need someone to drive. Oh, I, need I love driving, to drive but me. my mom hates driving. So <laughs> she will be one of the first ones in line. Mm-hmm. But but again, I mean, it, it really is your story, just everything about you and everything you're working on. It's shaping um, the future in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that your story alone and everything that you're doing gives people a lot of hope. Um, okay. And that hope is that the future would change for transgender people. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest question I've wanted to ask you all afternoon is, you know, being such a visionary, um, someone that is very innovative and have also found your own way, what that vision might be for the future of the transgender community who seem to be the most marginalized of, of many of us in this country. Well, my dream long term is that it's just another aspect of being human, mm-hmm. uh, like you're of a different ethnic background, uh, something akin to that. Everyone has their own personal medical history, and generally it's not much of is, is made of that. And that's what I would see long term for the transgender community. We're just, we have maybe a little different medical and personal history, but other than that, it's just one more aspect like any other aspect of people's lives, whether it be cultural or health or racial or any other identity or aspect of themselves. It's part of their personal life. And it doesn't really impact what they can do, what, how, who they can be in society, and what kind of career they can follow. So that's the long-term dream. Uh, nearer term, I'd say there's a lot of work that can be done within the transgender community and with allies to, uh, get, A, get people educated. That's been the biggest shortcoming for people, uh, especially younger people who didn't have that opportunity because they were bullied, they were discriminated against, so I, I think that's the first step is to, to get people educated. John, do you have a question before we open it up to our audience? It's forming in my head. So actually, why don't we open <laughs> up the audience? That. I'll break okay. in if I can right. think of it. So uh, We have a mic that we can pass around. Again, this is being recorded. So if you could to ask your question in the mic, that would be great. Question for Lynn. Hello, Lynn. I had uh, two questions, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because as an immigrant myself uh, from Pakistan, mm-hmm. uh, how was your feeling for being an American and then immigrating to Canada? That is one question. And secondly, I was quite interested, like what what was the wording of that ad which you put in? <laughs> in <laughs> he put it in. I, I answered his ad. So. <laughs> Okay, so that, uh, yeah. and what was that ad? Because even, you know, like, long time ago, at mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. how were people, like, if there was an ad like that, how would people react to that kind of ad? Well, thinking back, this was in New Jersey in 1995, I think, late 94, 95. And I don't know how many people, probably a number of people here, remember the personal ads in the newspapers. It's an obsolete concept now. But it's something like GAM, gay Asian male, there was uh, a a code for each variety of human in in the personal ads. It's okay. We we know. We're very familiar with acronyms in the LGBTQ community. (laughs) GAM seeking uh, GWM uh, for 
for dating and relationships, uh, likes outdoors, travel, this, that, and the other thing, puppies, rainbows, you know, I can't remember what, what it said, but it's something like that. And I, I like the outdoors, so that kind of attracted me. And uh, so I left a voicemail at the number, and he called me back on my home phone, and we talked, and then dated the following weekend, dated again the weekend after that, and forevermore, and within about six months, we had moved in. Don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyce came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And, and oh, the moving, immigrating to Canada. Um, it, it's not that big a cultural difference between the U.S. and Canada, so I wasn't terribly worried about it. It was more about uh, the career. Uh, and it, there aren't as many jobs in general in Canada, so that was a, a tougher nut. And I knew that ahead of time, that it would be more difficult to continue my career there. It, it just took a longer to reestablish. But other than that, Canadians are really friendly. It's a a great country in general for LGBT people, especially in the, the cities. So we settled first in Vancouver, very open and tolerant city, and then lived in Toronto for a number of years and back to Vancouver before we came here. So as an immigrant into Canada, for both of us, it was fairly straightforward. Uh, it wasn't very stressful. We were welcomed as as LGBT people and my husband to be as a, as an Asian Man, there's a lot of Asian people in the Canadian cities, so he felt right at home as well. So it was easy. And this is your closest relationships. I don't want to. I'm not trying to ask anything confidential, but or per, too personal. But we we kind of got around this a little bit. But when you you made the decision to transition, and when you were realizing this is what I am. How did that work with Ken? I mean, was, was, was he afraid that he might lose you, or yeah. was this just he's willing to go along with whatever the journey is? No, it was, uh, 
well, it was gradual. Mm-hmm. You know, he saw the bracelets and kind of wondered what's going on. And I, I, as I mentioned, uh, I told him it was my feminine side coming out. And he said, you're not going like, to go all the way, are you? And I said, no, no, no. But it progressed from there, and he saw that. And then finally, uh, he had traveled. He had gone on a trip and, and came back. And I said, I have something to tell you when he got home. I'm having uh, gender identity issues. And we, we were up basically all night talking from that and trying to and he was saying, I, I don't know if I can stay with you or I'll stay with you until you transition. And we had a lot of conversations in the first year of that type, whether he could stay with me, whether we should stay together, whether it was fair to each other. Um, if He's a gay man. I mean, he just doesn't, uh, not romantically interested in women. So it took a, a year or two to kind of get to the point where, uh, yes, we do really love each other and want to stay to, together. And we'll, we'll have a different life, but still have a good life as family. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you and Ken are soulmates, and I'm a big hopeless romantic. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of want to hear more about your first date and how you guys knew from then on that, hey, this is the one. Well, I can tell you some things about our first date. Uh, <laughs> it, it's all because you don't remember. <laughs> That's it was right. such a long yeah, time it's, ago. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just slipped my mind. But uh, you know, he returned my call. And uh, we agreed to meet, and I went over to his apartment in New Jersey, and then we went to a, a pub in a nearby town in New Jersey, and it uh, wasn't very fancy. The salad, we joke about this to this day, our very first date. The salad that they served, they chopped a head of lettuce in half. We each got a half of the head of lettuce, and they poured dressing on it. And that was, <laughs> so that, that's, that's pretty much what I remember about that. And we walked around town a bit, and it you know, it, it, the, that was really the most memorable aspect of the first date was that salad. <laughs> so. Hi, Lynn. You mentioned um, seeing yourself as a role model, mm-hmm. and it's because, you know, you've become an elder in the community. Was there a pivotal moment or a connection with someone else where maybe the light bulb went off or any milestone in your journey? I think. When I realized that, that I was seen as a role model was when the first person within Ford, as a matter of fact, contacted me and said, you know, I'm considering this myself and I've been really nervous and what can you tell me about your experience? And that's when it really clicked that being out in public like that, uh, I would get questions and people would want my help. And so that's, that's when it clicked that I was whether I wanted to or not, and, and, and it turns out I don't mind. It's an honor. But that was really when I considered myself a role model. It's, it's one thing to be a role model within a circle, a kind of enclosed circle, even a large one like Ford. Mm-hmm. But when the uh, Advocate article was coming out, in other words, where people who yeah. didn't know you, didn't know your company, well, mm-hmm. everyone's heard of Ford, but you know, weren't part of that, that they might start recognizing you. Were you sure you were ready for that? I guess I was a little nervous about dealing with people that I had never known before. Mm-hmm. But once I saw that they were sincere and they were in pain, then I knew that I just had to talk to them. Uh, it, it, I hadn't got approached by anyone who wasn't sincere, let's put it that way. That's great. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, Lynn. Hi. So talking about both being a role model and that education is the way to for progress to the future. Yeah. Can you talk about working as a living book and where you do that and what that entails? Oh, yeah, that's something else. I have been volunteering at the San Mateo County Pride Center, and a person there put me in touch with the Human Library, which is kind of a cool concept, and it fits in with my thinking. The idea is that people act as human books, uh, and you, you go to an event, maybe a library, in fact, this past Saturday, it was at the Redwood City Library, and these human books, of which I'm one, each, each one has their own story. I'm the transgender person, there was a Muslim, a police officer, a veteran, a disabled person, and, and so on, a number of people. And the members of the public could come in and check us out for 20 minutes and just start asking questions, and anything goes. Whereas if you see someone who's different on the street, you're probably not going to just walk up to them and start asking questions about themselves. But this was an opportunity for people to do that. The idea being that if you actually meet someone and talk to them and learn about who they are as a person, you're not going to be afraid of them anymore. And that's the way I've always felt. Well, that's a perfect segue to my question. When you coined the phrase when you got the look, like mm -hmm. when you came back to work the first day yeah. uh, after transitioning. Do you, is there any um, talk among the transgender community about um, just people's curiosity? Because when people give you the look, it, mm -hmm. they may not be intending a no, bad look. It's right. like, it's like, wow, that's different. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, um, so then it kind of becomes your job to educate everybody. And that, I'm sure, can be a little bit tiring because some days you just wake up exhausted and you just want to be Lynn. Mm -hmm. yeah. You don't want to deal with the look. Mm -hmm. So um, how, can you elaborate on that a little bit, like about the look? Like have there been times when you got the look and maybe didn't respond in a positive way because you were sick and tired of the look? Mm. I would say I never reacted in a negative way. I always try to be polite with people and just engage them one person to another. But it does get tiring after a while. Now, at work, everyone knows me. I have known me for a long time. Even new people quickly learn who I am and we just talk. So I don't get that at work. But I go to a lot of conferences. And sometimes I see the same people. And, oh, there's one advantage to being visibly trans, too. People remember me. I'll go to a lot of conferences. <laughs> and people say, hi, Lynn. And I, I'm thinking, hi, you. <laughs> So the, there's actually some advantage to it professionally. But I still get the look when I'm with a, a group maybe I haven't been with very much at a conference. There are people coming in from out of the country. And it does get a little tiring, especially if I've been really busy and I'm already tired. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a certain level of work. You're right. It, it, it's work on my part to have to engage them and put them at ease. I've learned to do it fairly efficiently, so I guess it's not that as much work as it used to be. I'll put it that way. Any others? Oh, back there. Hi, this is not really a question. I just want to say I'm one of the recipients of her role model service. Um, I, when I read the article in The Advocate, I tracked Lynn down. I emailed her, and we actually went for a coffee. I'd been about a year trying to figure out how I could transition as like a software executive. Um, about 30 minutes I spent for lunch or coffee, whatever, with her. And I think within two weeks after I came out on Facebook and through all my investors and all my companies and seeing her story made it me realize that I could actually do it and succeed in life. So thank you. My pleasure. I'm really glad to be your friend. 
a bad influence, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, Lynn, your story is uh, very inspiring, and thank you so much for uh, all this information. I just had one more question. Sure. Uh, I think it is important. Mm -hmm. uh, you have lived in Canada, and you said the people over there are really friendly and open to LGBT. They uh, are, at least in the city areas, certainly. Yeah. So, like, what what is in that culture the element which is present over there and it's not here in America and how can we bring that here also? I think in Canada it's different for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one, the, the cultural makeup of Canada is somewhat different, their history is somewhat different. Canadians are known by and large as polite people and they really are. People are, are really nice to you on the street, your neighbors will help you and so forth. In the U.S. it may be a little more competitive uh, job-wise or, or uh, commercial, you know, any, any kind of competition you can think of. Americans in general a little more competitive and that reflects in a little less tolerance of other people I think. Uh, and I think it's historical and cultural the difference between the two countries and for some reason uh, Canadians ended up being known rightfully as very polite nice people. It's funny how many folks I'll read about from Europe who will talk about how nice Americans are. So if they ever went to Canada, their minds would be blown. Yes. <laughs> now, now, to be fair, there are plenty of nice people in the U.S., and I've met tons of them yes. uh, in recent years. And I've been really lucky. I don't put myself in places where I think that people are going to be nasty to me or, or in harm's way. But then again, as a woman, I have to be aware of my surroundings like every other woman in history has ever had to do. So I, I'm careful where I go and who I associate with. Uh, so I tend to just surround myself with nice people. So that's why I see most people as being nice. Uh, you can find the, the, the people who aren't so nice if you look for them. I think in general, just Americans are more competitive. So maybe a, less, a little less supportive in some ways. But that's not true everywhere or for everyone. There's lots of nice people here, too. All right. Well, that's perfect timing because we're winding down. And, uh, John, if you have a question, I'll let you ask one before I ask the last question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. Not going to learn any secrets about Ford's technology that's no. under development. <laughs> not unless we hire you, dear. <laughs> I'll give you my resume later. Okay. <laughs> Um, you, now how often, you, you're in the Pride March, how often are you doing public talks and, and putting yourself out there for folks? Uh, probably several times a month. That's a, quite uh, a this bit. was the third thing in a week that I've done. Wow. Um, one, the Human Library, is, is, uh, you asked, was this past Saturday. And then on Monday, I appeared in front of the, the Mental Health Services Advisory Board for the for San Mateo County on behalf of the Pride Center there, and then here today. And I don't think there's any anything scheduled for next week, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's something shortly after that. And um, you know, I, I realize I have to slow down at some point, but it's an honor and it's something I think needs to be done. Were you always willing to be that public even before you transitioned? Oh no. Mm -hmm. I'm, t I'm 10 times as talkative as I used yeah. to. I think part of it is psychological. I can be myself, yeah. don't have to hide anything. That's a lot of work. Hiding part of, that important part of yourself is a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, I, I think just being, having that freedom as a woman. Mm -hmm. Women just are expected to, to, to share more emotional things. So I, 
maybe I didn't feel that uh, living in boy mode. And mm. I, I just feel that freedom now. That's a great segue to my last question. And, you know, your unique experiences make the uh, incredible person that you are and the courage that you have. We talked about, you know, the transgender community and employment opportunities. Uh, I think that there's still more work to be done. I think there there should be more trans executives. There should be more trans software engineers. Mm -hmm. There should be more trans elected leaders even. Um, What is that work? You know, what do you think? And I think part of it is people like you who will talk about your story Mm -hmm. and, and be an inspiration but specifically in the workplace and how do we get companies that we work for, um, how do we make them even bigger allies? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, maybe afterward we can talk to Grace, who's doing a lot of, of that kind of work herself. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the part of it is to get people trained, um, make them aware, make trans people, gender, transgender people aware that you can get into technology if you want to. Uh, that's the big, you know, the, the most open avenue of, of chasing a career in the Bay Area. Um, but getting into com- to companies, I guess, uh, as a member of the Ford Globe LGBT resource group, we do network with companies locally. And some of them are not as, as, as active, I guess, in promoting opportunities for transgender people as Ford and some other larger companies in the Bay Area have been. So. We try to to make them aware of that there's a, a a demographic out there that is quite talented and underutilized. So I guess it's the connections. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, thank you all for being here with us at the Commonwealth Club. Thank you again to Ceremony Ford and Castro Cargive for providing lunch today, and of course a big, huge thank you to our amazing guest, Lynn Kaiser. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. You can hear this program on Progressive Voices Network today or this afternoon at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We'll also post it up as a podcast on the Commonwealth Club website. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. We hope to see you again. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.